Today's reading is taken from Luke 8, and we're beginning at verse 26. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. They sailed to the region of the Gerasene, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasene asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is lovely to be with you today and for those in the church and for those in home as well. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for this challenging reading this morning. And we pray that you would speak through it to our hearts and minds in that wonderful recognition that you are the one who sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. It had been a really terrible relationship for years. She had been regularly subjected to physical, psychological and sexual abuse and had become a shadow of the young woman that she'd been before. And now the most vicious attack of all had taken place and she had to get out. Taking her little daughter with her, she left the flat with a few belongings and bought a coach ticket to London. On reaching the big city, she she quickly learned that the streets weren't paved with gold and that she would have to live by her wits. Taken in by a pimp, she was soon hooked on drugs and working as a call girl around the back of King's Cross Station. The occult had always intrigued her and she and her daughter got involved in a dark and scary spiritual world her daughter sometimes speaking in a low, strange tone, almost like that of a man, and quite unlike her normal speaking voice. 
And it was when her daughter tried to push her under a tube train on the northern line that something snapped. It was a terrifying moment, but perhaps the name of the station where it took place, Angel, was providential. Within an hour, as though Angel directed, the lady and her daughter had made their way to the church in Islington, where I was then working as a caretaker and youth worker, in a state of real shock and fear. Shortly afterwards, they began to open themselves to the power of the living God and would find in him and in his people forgiveness, healing, release, community, a place to call home. It's a dramatic story, of course, one of the most dramatic that I've ever encountered in ministry, but it's also acted as a vivid reminder to me over many, many years of the spiritual battle that rages over every human soul. In Lynn and her daughter's case, the battle was all too obvious. It was really a matter of life and death. In most cases, it's a far more hidden and subtle affair. But either way, there is no exemption from the spiritual battle. Not one of us is immune once we've signed up into the forces, the army, the peaceful army of Jesus. As Jesus once put it, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. But then he continues, but I have come that you might have life, life in all its fullness. Our rather strange gospel story today really starts the verse before, the one that was read, where Jesus says, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Let us go over to the other side of the lake. It was an instruction that would have surprised and alarmed Jesus' followers, even hard-bitten fishermen among them. Because the other side of the lake, the land of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, there were two villages, we think, called Gadara and Gerasar, and it could be called either, was felt to be those who lived on the Israeli side of the lake to be a place of darkness, a place of Gentiles, where Gentiles hung out, a place of hostility, a place of uncleanness. That was what people felt, and certainly none of them would ever have been over to the other side of the lake before. If we were reading this through a psychologist's eyes, we might even see this as an invitation to explore our own shadow side, if you like, the other side of the lake, to explore our own fears and prejudices to confront our demons. And the worst of the disciples' fears and prejudices were realized first when they started drawing close to the shore and saw those great herds of pigs. Of course, pigs were unclean animals in uh, Jewish understanding. And then they met this man, the first man they met, as far as we can see, when coming out of the boat, was this man who called himself Legion. Today, though I speak as an amateur here, he would probably have been diagnosed as a manic, depressive, psychotic, complete with multiple personality disorder, and would have been heavily sedated. In Jesus' day, the only treatments he'd received for his condition were chains on his hands and his feet, physical chains, not chemical ones. Then when he'd broken free of such restraints, separation from human society altogether, living uh, like an animal among the tombs. This man was so disturbed that every now and then he would cry out at the top of his voice. Self-harm was also part of the package, according to Mark's account of this story as the man cut himself with stones. So was nakedness. Villagers in the neighborhood would no doubt warn their children to stay right away from that area. 
or perhaps even threaten them with stories of legion being out to get them if they were naughty. So here is Jesus, pure goodness, pure compassion, crossing the lake in the late evening during a particularly busy and intense spell in his ministry and encountering this wild and scary man, the inspiration, I guess, for many many a, a Hammer horror movie. And what happens next may be hard for us to understand, but provides for us five great lessons to encourage us and inspire us this morning. The first is a lesson about the value, the preeminent value of human life to Jesus. The preeminent value of human life to Jesus. That to bring freedom and peace to this one man was worth the Son of God making a special trip across the lake in the midst of the busiest of schedules. It was worth the death of a large herd of animals and even presumably the loss of a number of pig farmers livelihoods. Now, it's not, of course, that animals and animal welfare is unimportant to God. Far from it. Everything that he has made is good. Nor is it, of course, true that human livelihood is something that God doesn't worry about. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. But what is true, for some reason, which it is extremely hard for us to fathom at points, human lives, one human life, is of extraordinary, preeminent value to him. And remember, this wasn't just any old human life we're talking about. This was the most terrifying, degraded individual that one could possibly imagine, even in our wildest nightmares. We may sometimes doubt that for ourselves, perhaps in our darker moments, perhaps in the middle of the night, when we wake up and feel somehow worthless, We might feel that we don't have any value at all, or not really very much. Or sometimes we might doubt that for others. We grow weary in our compassion, weary in our ministry, perhaps, of healing or evangelism or pastoral care. We don't connect with the heart of a a loving God in the way that perhaps we once did. Our hearts have grown hard within us. And where that happens, we need to pray that we might recapture that sense of the preeminent value of every individual human life to God. We need to recapture the words of the psalmist who cries out, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? And then goes on to say, but you've made them little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. We need to recapture some of that sense that that God... Uh, loves us despite, even in amidst our flaws and failings, even the most degraded person living among the tombs on the land of the Gerasenes. And especially we need to do so in response to those whom the world outside of the church treats in that kind of way, who are regarded as somehow worthless or odd or a nuisance or plain disgusting. So that's the first lesson, the value, the preeminent value of human life to Jesus. And of course, that doesn't mean we can make a mess of creation as we have been doing. But for whatever reason, whatever our flaws and failings, God is crazy about us. It's the second lesson here about the need for us to be out and about as followers of Jesus, bringing the transforming power of Christ well outside the confines of the church. This isn't healing on the streets that we read of in the gospel. It's healing among the tombs. 
But think of Jesus. Think of how much time he spent inside. Yes, it's a warmer climate, I know that. But think of how much time he spent inside in the temple, say, or in the synagogue. Well, a little bit of time. But most of the time when we read Jesus in the Gospels, he's outside. He's getting out and about. He's bringing transforming power wherever he goes. Let's face it, Legion would never have darkened the doors of any church. And even if he tried to darken the doors of a church like this, uh, a, a church warden or maybe a parish safeguarding officer would have probably rung the police, said, please come round straight away. Can't be doing with this man. And he would have been whipped off. And of course, it's not just people like Legion of whom that's true. It's, it's so many people in our society who will never come through the doors of a church for whatever reason. Perhaps some of us have joined us on, online, which is brilliant. But for some, actually coming through that door, that door, wherever the door is, is actually really challenging, isn't it? And that's why we need to get out. So often our model of mission is, is you know, uh, isn't go into all the world to make disciples. It's come into church and you'll be made to feel comfortable. Go into all the world and make disciples, said Jesus. Because we need to take the love and compassion and freedom that Jesus brings uh, way outside of the walls of a building like this. And that will only happen, of course, as we take seriously the fact that we are the body of Christ. In the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We are the body of Christ. We are, in human terms, Christ's ears and eyes and hands and feet to go out, as we've been hearing a number of people have been going out, to bring the love of Jesus, to model the love of Jesus, to speak of the love of Jesus uh, in the community around us, especially at a time like this, where that little phrase, a living hope, is in such short supply. In the words of the commission that I put to the candidates towards the end of every confirmation service, will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? To which the candidates respond, with the help of God. Yes, it has to be with the help of God. With the help of God, I will. There's a third lesson here about the reality of evil and the spiritual battle that accompanies that reality. Yes, of course, seen at its most extreme form in the story of Legion or maybe the story of Lynn, with which I started my sermon, but, but more subtly present in and around far more ordinary uh, people and in far more ordinary and mundane ways, testing us, tempting us, discouraging us, making us feel worthless, attacking us in every way. C.S. Lewis put this best, I think. He reflected on a time shortly before his Christian conversion, and he metaphorically travelled to the other side of the lake during that time to confront his own demons. Here's what he wrote. For the first time, I examined myself with a serious, practical purpose, and I found what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion, but Christ claimed me as his own and many of us, I guess, if we ever step back and take that serious, practical look at our lives in the way that, say, those who join Alcoholics Anonymous do, but for many of us who aren't part of an organisation like that, we probably never do. If we actually step back, we will recognise within ourselves that zoo of lusts, that bedlam of ambitions, that nursery of fears, 
that harvey of fondled hatreds. He's talking about the bitterness here, the unforgiveness that we can have uh, towards other people and almost enjoy having. Yes, there's plenty of evil out there, of course, in the world outside. Absolutely right. Some of it alarming and horrendous. But there is plenty of evil in here as well. And I guess in that sense, all of us should identify ourselves with legion here, caught up in a spiritual battle over which we sometimes feel we have very little control. And yet, fourthly, there's a lesson here about the power of Jesus, especially his power in the face of our very powerlessness, those mountains and uh, deep ravines that we were singing about in uh, one of our songs. For here's what the onlookers saw happen. Jesus spoke the word, the man was released from what had bound him, and simultaneously a whole herd of pigs was stampeding lemming-like towards the Sea of Galilee. What was the connection? Well, I'm afraid I don't have a very advanced demonology, so I'm not quite sure. But what I am sure is that it was about the power of Jesus. Just as when I go around, which I do from time to time, to a home in which paranormal activity of some kind has been reported, and I pray, the paranormal activity comes to an end. I don't know why, but of one thing we can be absolutely sure, that the sheer power of Jesus is there to ransom, to heal, to restore, and to forgive. And so the battle for this man's soul was over. And he was sitting there, a picture of tranquility, clothed and in his right mind. And what followed was this. The man, we're told, begged to go with Jesus. He begged to go with Jesus. And Jesus, in effect, told him that he couldn't. He told him, he said, to go back home, the home from which he had no doubt been thrown out as his behavior had become ever more dangerous and erratic, to return to home and tell them just what God had done for him. And there's a lovely little twist here in Mark's account. He says he went back home and he told them everything that Jesus had done for him. And we begin to compute. Well, maybe Luke is pointing here to Jesus being God. So on this unique occasion in the Gospels, didn't Jesus allow this man to follow him? Did he tell him to go somewhere else? Was it perhaps that there wasn't room on the boat's home and brought enough boat spaces Was it perhaps that uh, Jesus was worried that uh, the man might upset the delicate sort of team dynamics between the team of disciples that he called together? The answer, I believe, has to do with a little Greek word that comes, I think, four times in the reading that we've had read, and it's the word beg. It's the word beg. Earlier in the story, the demons through this man had begged Jesus to leave Legion alone. Next, they begged him that they might go into the pigs. And now the man in his right mind begs Jesus, begs Jesus that he might go with him. It's almost as though the man was wanting to swap one dependency with another. To move from a dependence on the demons that drove him to an unhealthy dependence on Jesus. To remain in that sense a beggar, a victim. So here's my fifth lesson from this story. Yes, human lives are of preeminent value to God. Yes, we need to get out and about. Yes, evil is real and Jesus' power is unquenchable. 
But finally, that our calling in the power of the Spirit is to stand tall as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. To take responsibility for the lives that God has given us. To grow up in the faith. You know, these last couple of years, I've increasingly felt as they've gone on and on and on. This is an extraordinary opportunity, isn't it? And the, the challenge is this. Give up or grow up. Give up or grow up. Perhaps you've been tempted to do both on different occasions. You know, well, I could just about retire, I suppose. Give up. That's sometimes gone through my mind when it's been rather hard. Or grow up. What an extraordinary opportunity to grow up as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. To be not victims, but victors. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need God. There's no question about that. But the extraordinary truth that the Bible lays out from beginning to end is that the way that God has sorted this thing out is that he needs us. From the moment that Adam is called to till the ground to the moment that the 70 are sent out on our mission to preach the gospel, to right towards the end of the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, God needs us. That's the way he set it up in order to give us a purpose in our lives. He needs us to be his fellow workers so that his kingdom might come and his will be done in Camberley or wherever it is you live or work, just as it is in heaven. And in this man's case, the transformation was complete so that someone who had been such deeply bad news in the community of which he was a part became someone who was deeply good news. He became the first evangelist on the other side of the lake. And he was extraordinarily successful. How do we know that he was extraordinarily successful? Well, you may remember from the end of this gospel reading that Jesus and the disciples get sort of, get told to go. Probably the pig farmers were leading the charge. We really don't want you here, Jesus. Push off. Go to the other side of the lake where you belong. But there's a story a little bit later on in the gospels where they go back to the other side of the lake and where the crowds welcome them with open arms. That was the effect of the man who was previously called Legion. That was the effect of his evangelism. Astonishing. So this man, he wasn't going to be a victim anymore. He wasn't going to be a beggar, even begging to go with Jesus. He was going to be sent by Jesus to go into his little part of the world and make disciples. Just a little postscript as we prepare for a time of prayer. Because this man who called himself Legion isn't unique in the Gospels. There is a story later on of another man who ends up isolated, naked, outside the town, among the tombs, shouting incomprehensible things. His flesh already ripped to shreds by the small stones in the Roman whips as he was torn apart on a cross. Mysteriously, the Bible teaches this man too was legion. He had taken onto himself the full pulverizing impact of the power of evil. As St. Paul later reflects, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. And why did he do that? So that in him, continues Paul, we might become the righteousness of God. What an astonishing exchange that is. It is Jesus who went to considerable personal inconvenience to heal and liberate the first legion so that he might be still and clothed and in his right mind. Then go and share all that God, all that Jesus had done for him. 
But it's also Jesus who was willing later to go to far more than personal inconvenience. Jesus who became legion for us so that we and the whole of the humanity on which God places such extraordinarily high value might become the righteousness of God, still clothed in our right minds, bearers of good news, just a little lower than the angels. Let's have a few moments of quiet and perhaps during this time the worship band might like to um, make their way to the front. And as Tom said at the beginning of the service, we would love to pray for anything much that's on your hearts and minds at the moment. But especially, we'd love to pray for those who sense the need of the power of God to, to bring you freedom. That lovely, lovely banner there, Jesus sets you free. You perhaps feel a little caged. You felt a little caged um, in one way or another. Just reminded of those words from C.S. Lewis. For the first time, I examined myself with a serious practical purpose. And I found what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion, but Christ claimed me as his own. And perhaps you need to be liberated from one or other of those areas or something else to know once again Christ claiming you as his own, or perhaps knowing that for the first time. And also we would love to pray especially for those in need of power, the power of God to use us. Perhaps we felt rather useless over those last few months and we, we want to reconnect with the heart of God to be people of compassion, not people with hard hearts. And if so, we would love to pray that the Holy Spirit would, in the words of the prophet, would remove from us our hearts of stone and replace in us afresh hearts of flesh, hearts that beat with the loving heartbeat of God himself. So Heavenly Father, we do pray that just in this short time that's to come, we might do business with you either just where we are quietly or coming up to the front and being prayed for. We thank you so much for this magnificent story of Legion, such a difficult story in so many ways, Lord, and yet a story with such deep meaning and relevance for us. And I do long that as a result of our service this morning. Each one of us would stand that little bit taller, not in our own strength, in our own stature, but because those things that have held us down might be broken through the power of Jesus. For we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.